Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. Well, thanks. So glad that you're here with us this morning and joining us online and in the chapel. Excited to share the word with you today, but want to quickly highlight, man, you saw kind of the fun and the crazy that we do at our youth retreats, our youth events. Uh, but man, if I could just share like the, the moments we had in our times of worship, in the prayer, and even talking to some of our leaders from the weekend, what we were so encouraged by was not that it was just students coming up to leaders for prayer, but that students were praying for one another and God's doing a work in their life. Um, and, and so it's been so encouraging. Pastor Bennell was our speaker. And let me tell you, like, we have a great one. Like Pastor Bennell did a phenomenal, phenomenal job. Uh, just really obedient to God's leading and what he shared with our students. Uh, and if I can shout out all of our leaders who came out that weekend, man, like they did a phenomenal job as well, giving up their time and just making this retreat just one for the books. And so we're excited to build off that momentum. Uh, but, but I'm excited to share this morning with you. Uh, this, this idea of awake is something that's been on myself and Pastor Matt's heart for months as we've been preparing for this retreat. Uh, but really wanted to just kind of share that with you this morning. feel like uh, as, as we were praying and preparing and then even hearing some of the testimonies from students uh, this past weekend, just the amount of anxiety and depression and hopelessness that people are feeling right now uh, is overwhelming for much. And really believe that that's not the way that God designed us and desires for us to live, but that we're meant to live spiritually awake through his power. And so we're going to look at a story today in Ezekiel chapter 37. If you have your Bibles, uh, I'd encourage you to join there. You can use the Bible app and follow along with our notes. Um, but we're going to be looking uh, at the story that takes place in Ezekiel 37. But I have a question for you to consider. Uh, and I'm not going to ask for a show of hands just because it's not the right question for that. But I want to ask this question. How many of you have ever felt hopeless? And I think the reality is, you know, a lot of us, if not most of us, uh, would probably raise our hands that at some point in time, or maybe even right now, you're in a place where you're feeling hopeless. That there have been seasons and, and times, and you know, we're, we're in the fall season, as Pastor Jordan mentioned, and so uh, with the fall comes sports, and with the sport teams that you guys like, some of you go into the season feeling hopeless, right? We're not going to name any teams right now. I'm not going to put anybody on blast, but you know who you are. Um, you know, there are times where, where circumstances or teams or things can leave us feeling hopeless. How about, man, there were dreams that you had for your life. There were dreams that you had or visions for where you would see yourself. And maybe as you got older, or maybe as you started to pursue those things, or maybe as those started to slip away, what was a dream or a vision for you started to become a fantasy that was likely not going to happen. And it's left you questioning, where is your purpose? Where is the hope that you have? And I think we can look at this and we can ask these questions and we can look and say, you know what, I, I'm feeling hopeless. I've lost my sense of direction in life. You know, there's a hopeless feeling I have uh, because of the purpose that I feel like I don't have in the job I am working right now. There's, there's, we, can, we can go down the list of what these things are. And at this point, you're probably thinking like, geez, why do you invite this Debbie Downer in today? 
I promise you, and, and can I spoil the story for you that, of what we're going to look at today? Is that this story is going to talk about people, God's people who were in a distant, scattered, broken, faraway land because of mistakes they made. But God's plan was never for them to live the rest of their life in dryness and deadness. God's desire was to bring life back to that which was dead. And we're going to look at that. And, and my prayer and my belief is that whether you walked into this room this morning or you're joining us online or in the chapel, that, that some of you walked here today, maybe not even knowing why. You just felt like today was the day it, it, it happened. But I believe God wants to begin the process of a, of a spiritual restoration in some of our hearts. And so as we talk today, uh, that, that's been my prayer, but want to get into the scripture that we'll be in. And as we do, there's, there's three kind of steps I want us to look at for what it takes to become spiritually awake. These are three observations that stood out to me um, coming off this past weekend and, and as I was preparing. Three steps for becoming spiritually awake. Let's hit the first one. Number one is this, is that you have to identify what is broken. You have to identify what is broken in your life. There was a, a story I read about these people who were driving this car. Um, and so if you've got a newer car with all the digital gauges and all that, this probably doesn't apply to you. But if you drive an older car that's got the needle gauges, okay, uh, there's, there was this story about this car. And so it had been through the miles, like it was the family car, it had been in the family for a while. Uh, but what, what was significant about it is that the gas gauge, as it would go from full down to half a tank, down to a quarter tank, once it got to a quarter tank, it would then start to bounce between empty and a quarter. So it wasn't giving an accurate reading. The fuel pump wasn't working quite right. But the owners of this car just got to this point of where they said, you know what, when it hits a quarter tank, we'll just hit the gas station, fill it up. Like, we don't need to put the car in. Like, we need the car so we can't go get it fixed. You know, all the reasons, all the excuses, we'll just be diligent about filling it up. So every time it would get down to about a quarter tank, they'd start to see the needle bounce. And so they said, all right, let's hit the gas station. Well, one day, life just got crazy for them. Uh, they, were, they were taking kids to sports, getting them to school. They had to go to work. They were doing all this stuff. Uh, and sure enough, that, that gauge got down to a quarter tank, and they just kept going because they couldn't find the time to stop for gas. Well, you can probably see where this story's going, that one day while they were driving, they, they were driving and noticed the engine start to sputter and cut out. And so if you've ever been in that situation, you know that's one of the worst feelings in the world because you're like, oh, no. Like, what now? But they knew exactly what. They knew they had run out of gas. And as I was, I was thinking about this story, this was kind of the situation that the people from the kingdom of Judah had put themselves in. And so the, the, the people of the kingdom of Judah, Ezekiel's the prophet we're going to look at. And for seven years, he had been giving prophecies to them saying, repent and turn back to the Lord. Repent and turn back. Like, Throw away the idols, throw away the gods you're serving and turn back to the one true God. And for seven years, the people said no. They didn't make a change. And so what ended up happening was, was the Babylonian Empire rose up in this time around 600 BC. And so the Babylonian Empire under King Nebuchadnezzar rose up. Uh, and what happened was they started conquering and attacking land. And the kingdom of Judah and Israel were the ones that, that ended up being conquered. And so what happened was the people in the cities were conquered, the, the temple in Jerusalem, they were ruined in this time, and they were taken as captives then, as exiles, back into a land that was not their own. They were lost, they were scattered, and eventually got to this point to where they were spiritually dead. 
They didn't, they, they, they knew what was broken, much like a broken gas gauge. They knew some things that were wrong in their life that they needed to change, and yet they didn't make the change that was necessary. And because of this, they find themselves in this place. And so now you have this instance where the kingdom of Judah and the people are just, they're in such a hopeless state that, that as I was reading, it was even to the point of where they were saying, hey, our God we served has actually been overcome by another God of that. And so he's just not there. Like their faith was at an all-time low. And I was, I, I was thinking through this in this story that comes through with the vision here. God gives this vision, and he, and he takes Ezekiel and starts to give him this. And we're going to look at this story here. Ezekiel 37, starting in verse 1, it says this, that the hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. So try and picture this with me. This is the story of the valley of the dry bones. And so Ezekiel in this vision is taken by God's Spirit and put before this valley, and in it is bones, probably resembling something like a, like a battlefield of dead, but to the point of where there is nothing left but bones. And the bones weren't just like skeletons and remains of, of humans. Like the, the idea it, it connotates is this idea that there was a mixed scatter, like nothing belonged to one another. It was just this pile and heap of bones. It was dryness, it was deadness. And if you look at the, the purpose of the story, God is trying to bring a vision to Ezekiel of how the people of Judah were feeling. Distant and scattered in a land. Dry, and, and, and though they weren't physically dead, spiritually they had lost all hope. And you see this in, in, in the Old Testament and in the Hebrew, this idea of bones. Like we probably think of the bones that, that we have or, or a dog bone, you know, something human bones like that. But the idea of using bones, especially in poetic writings, comes from this idea of not just saying the physical bone itself, but talking about the very essence or being of a person. You see this in Genesis where, where Adam, in referring to his wife Eve, says, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh talking about that, that this woman who belongs to me is, is of me. Like it, it, it's, there's closeness there. David in his Psalms throughout the, it talks about bones in the similar manner, talking about the power that comes from the life that God brings to our bones. And it's, it's, it's interesting because if you look at the history of the kingdom of Judah, they put themselves in this place because they didn't heed the warning that God was speaking through Ezekiel. And the thought that, that hit me in that and, and, and kind of applied with it is this idea that rejection leads to separation. That at some point, our rejection of God is going to lead to a separation. And we might not always know the things that are broken in our lives. You know, there, there might be times where, hey, you don't know or don't understand uh, why certain things happen or, or what's broken. And then it kind of springs up and you're like, oh, no, now I got to fix this. Other times, there are things and signs that your life will start to, start to show where there are points in your life and the way you act, the way you conduct yourself that starts to, to lead to say, hey, there's something that's off and people might start to point it out. But ultimately, when, when we come to this point and when correction is about to be brought, we have to understand that sometimes our rejection of God can lead to our separation from him. And that's not because God doesn't love us and because God doesn't care about us, or that God doesn't have a plan for us. But I want to look at what the, the, the prophet Isaiah wrote in Isaiah chapter 59, verses 1 and 2. This is what he says. He said, listen, 
The Lord's arm is not weak to save you, nor is his ear deaf to hear your call. What he's saying is, hey, God hears you. God knows you. God has all power. He is the God over all. But number two, verse two here, it says, it's your sins that have cut you off from God. Because of your sins, he's turned away and will not listen anymore. That at some point, there are some things that are broken in our life that we might have to surrender to God in order to restore ourselves from hopeless situations we might find ourselves in. There was a story that came out a few, a few years ago uh, of something that took place in Bowling Green, Kentucky, okay? So not down the road from us, uh, but there, in Bowling Green, Kentucky, there's the, the Museum of the Corvettes, the National Corvette Museum. And if you're a car person, you've probably seen this, uh, but what happened was there's this museum with all of these timeless classic Corvettes Beautiful cars, uh, sentimental cars, cars that are kind of one-offs even in there. And what ended up happening was that underneath the Corvette Museum, a sinkhole started to, to happen. And so this building with people in it throughout the day and cars in it that are, have so much value uh, started to have this sinkhole develop underneath. And it got bigger and bigger till when the structure that was sitting on top of the sinkhole could not support it anymore. And I brought a picture to show a little bit of the damage um, that took place. And here you have this sinkhole take place within the museum and the bottom essentially just falls out of this place. And so the cars that were on the floor fell out. There are three cars here, but eight Corvettes were damaged in the process of this. And as I was reading the article, it said that this sinkhole that developed underneath a building that was already established ended up costing them $3.2 million worth of damage to fill in the hole and fix up and even restore some of the Corvettes. And some of them were so damaged they couldn't. That there was a great loss that took place through this. And a lot of money that came with that. And I don't know about you, but sometimes it can feel like there are sinkholes that kind of spring up in your life that just suck everything into it. There are those things that come up out of nowhere. There are those times where you can relate to this feeling that you're empty and broken and without purpose, that you're in a hopeless state. That maybe it was because of choices you made. Maybe it, was, uh, maybe it was something God put on your heart that you said, Lord, I can't do that, so I'm going to go my way. Maybe it was a sin issue that you could not turn over and surrender to God, and so you never released the bondage of that and then found yourself where this hole just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger, this hole in your life. Maybe it's from situations that are unseen, that you didn't prepare for the loss of somebody that you could not prepare for, the loss of a job that you were not prepared or ready for, these things where, where you can't avoid them. But can I tell you this, that despite whether it was choices you made or whether it was circumstances of life, that the, the best way to begin the process of restoration in your heart is to identify what is broken and surrender that to God so that God's spirit we're going to look at it in a minute, can bring restoration and bring new life to a hopeless heart. So as we look at our life, and if you say you're in a hopeless state, we got to identify what is broken. Here's the second idea. The second idea is this, is that we have to trust who has spoken. We have to trust who has spoken. In the, in the passage going back into Ezekiel 37.3, 
This is then what God starts to speak to Ezekiel. He says this in verse three. He asked me, son of man, can these bones live? So Ezekiel's standing in this valley in the vision, and then God says, hey, do you believe that, can these bones live? Can these scattered, mixed up, dry, dead bones live? And he said this, sovereign Lord, you alone know. Now, what I find interesting, and, and when I read scripture a lot of times, I, 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 put, I try to put myself in that position where if I was in Ezekiel's shoes, how would I respond in that moment? And if I'm being honest, like I, I'm standing before this, this, this valley just full of dry, dead bones, and, and God's asking me, hey, can life come back to these? The human side of me is gonna be like, I don't think so. Like, it's not like they had just died and you can bring life back. You know, it's not like stories I've read about in, in the Bible, you know, for that matter, like other stories of you bringing life back to people. Like, there's literally no skin, no nothing left on them, humanly thinking. But I love Ezekiel's response because he doesn't say, God, no way. He said, Lord, you alone know. You alone have the power. And it's at this point that God is setting up his purpose to be displayed. And he's looking for somebody to use to display it. And this is the vision that Ezekiel is experiencing. And the thing that he recognized based on past experience and past understanding of what had happened in his people's history is that God is a God of power. And so as we continue in the story looking at verse four here, this is what then happens. Then God said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. Verse six goes on to say, I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am Lord. Now remember, Ezekiel is gonna to have to prophesy and give this message to his people, to the people of Judah. These people are the ones who are faithless, who believe God is not at work. And God's saying, hey, I'm going to begin and do a miracle. I'm gonna bring back life to that which was dead. I'm gonna bring back life to my people who are scattered and without identity. And then they're gonna know that I am the Lord. If they would just trust, if Ezekiel, you would just trust, if you can tell the people They got my, my word is true. And I think Ezekiel's perspective, again, putting ourselves in this place, he's in front of these bones. And because of his knowledge, because of the way God had spoken and worked through him, I believe he had this faith to understand that when he trusts God's word, when he trusts what God asks him to do, God would do a, a mighty work. When he would put his faith in God's word, and the thing that I, I want to point out for us is this, is that oftentimes faith transcends the obstacles of our earthly reality. That when we find obstacles that we face in our life, maybe it's not just dry, dead bones, but maybe it's a decision of what to make in a situation or a relationship. Maybe it's trying to figure out, do I stay in this job that is providing no purpose or do I take a risk and go for what I believe God has called me to do? that when we start to ask these questions that might not have answers on the front end, but we can trust God's word to know, Lord, where are you leading me? 
And would you have the faith to take that step that I believe faith oftentimes transcends those obstacles that our earthly reality presents? You know, I, uh, if you don't know me personally, uh, I'm somebody who loves food, okay? So I love food. Uh, I love to cook food. Uh, I like to smoke meats. I have a meat smoker. So that's something that's become like one of my favorite hobbies now. Uh, but I also don't have a problem pulling out my wallet, going to a restaurant, and just paying people for good food. Like, I love to eat. Um, with all that, though, you know, I, I've kind of learned and received some recommendations, and I've become known on staff here from amongst uh, a lot of other people of being the foodie. And so whether it's around Toledo or this area, they ask me. Uh, but here's the thing where it's kind of progressed to a level that I didn't think it would go. Um, they plan vacations now and ask me for food recommendations. And at least 75% of the time, I've never been to the place they're going. But I got to keep up my image and my name, so I give them answers, okay? Um, so, but here's where, here's where it kind of gets weird for me. Uh, I actually know places they can go because I've planned vacations or gone to spots. And one of my first things I do when planning a vacation is look for the good food. Like wherever I go, and I have this rule where if I travel outside of Toledo or somewhere, I am not eating anything that I can get back home. I'm not going to any restaurant that I can get any time back home. I'm trying something new. I'm trying something local. I'm trying something adventurous. Like that's just the way I like to travel and experience new things. But in my, the process of my travels, I've uh, asked people who I've known who have lived in, in cities and places that I've gone and say, hey, what's the best food, you know, or even just been given recommendations. It's like, all right, I'll give that a try. And uh, there's been a, a good few times where I've received some phenomenal restaurants uh, recommendations. And can I tell you, there's been some times where I've received just some very average restaurant recommendations. And, and this is a part that I'm trying to work through in my own heart. But when I receive bad food recommendations, I completely change my view of that person. <laughs> like, if you're going to lead me astray with my taste buds, how can I trust you in any other way? Are you really a friend? Like, these are the processes that start going through my mind. The Lord's working. But, but with that, the, the thought that comes to mind is this. You know, as much as people have led me astray with food, I think there's a lot of us who, who feel the same way towards people of the church or people of Christianity. Man, you said something like, God moves in this way if I do this, and then you went to that experience, and then it didn't play out that same way. Man, this church is so great. And then you go and visit that church, and you're like, not the experience I had. You put your faith in a person of faith, and then they let you down at some point. And I think what happens is, is sometimes we put our faith in something or someone that fails us. And what I've seen too often is that the reaction then of when we put our faith into that, into someone, into a place, into a person, and it fails us, that we then retract at times and say, you know what? I can't trust anybody now. I'm not going to get any recommendations from anybody. That church hurt me. All churches will hurt me. I can't trust that pastor. All pastors can't be trusted. That person of faith, they led me astray. I, I don't know about this community. 
And sometimes our experiences force us to withdraw within to ourselves. Maybe other times it's not specifically churches or, or people, but maybe it's even just expectations you had about an experience. And it wasn't because of anybody else, but you had an expectation that didn't live up to it. And so then you start to question, God, are you really there? God, are you really all you're cracked out to be? Can I, can I encourage you? And this is something that, that I've had to tell myself at times, but I believe can really help us if, if we identify what's broken and progress in trusting God's word. It's this, it's that God is not limited by human error. God is not limited by the experiences that we have on this earth. If we limit God to the bad experience or to the bad interaction or to the person who failed us, then we're putting God in a box that he doesn't fit into. And we have to understand that when we limit God to that, that it brings about so much more uh, destruction to our lives and so much more calamity to our lives. You see, the people of Judah, because of their issues, questioned, God, how could this happen? We're yours. But there was something that was off in their life. Other times, their faith was honestly just put in the wrong things that led them astray. They didn't trust the word of, what was, of who is spoken. And I would encourage you that no matter how close you are to God, we can all fall into this. There's two stories in the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 14 is a familiar story about when Jesus walks on water. And, and Jesus sends his disciples ahead in a boat, and he stays back to pray on a mountain. And while they're on the boat, the storm comes that is just really just a dangerous storm. And so what happens is Jesus sees this take place. He goes down, and he goes out and walks on water to meet them. And so they're spooked at first, but then recognize, hey, this is Jesus. And Peter's the one who kind of steps out. And then he, he, he says, Lord, if it's really you... Let me walk on this water to you. He's saying, man, I'm going to take this step of faith. God, let me take this step of faith towards you. And so sure enough, Peter puts his feet over the boat in the middle of this storm, in the middle of the waves, in the middle of all of that, and begins to walk on water. Truly a miracle of faith. But as he takes more and more steps, he gets to this point to where he, he then focuses back on whatever, what all is happening around him. And he begins to sink in the water. His faith was deterred. And Jesus had to come rescue him. And he questioned and said, where is your faith? In Matthew chapter 8, there's a different story that takes place. A Roman centurion comes and he says, hey, I have this sick uh, assistant. He, he's paralyzed. He's in bed. He is in need of healing. And Jesus, I can see that you are the healer by what you're doing right now. And so Jesus, in response, said, yeah, we'll come. Let, like, let's go heal. And this guy said, wait, wait, wait. No, you do not have to come. I believe that if you say the word, that my servant will be healed. And Jesus' response to this, this Roman centurion is this, is saying, I have never seen faith like the faith this man has. That the, despite his experience, despite his circumstance, despite the hopeless outlook that was in front of him, he had the faith to say, God, if you speak, there's power that comes through your word. And his servant was healed. You see, faith in God's word carries redemptive power. Your situation might not be on the upswing in the moment, 
But when you can put your faith in who God says he is, not who your friend said he was to them, when you can put your faith in what God's word says, that he has plans to prosper you, not to harm you, that he has plans to give you hope and future, that you can trust in God's word, that he will bring about resolution and restoration to your hopeless heart, to your hopeless life. God is not in the business of leaving people to die and fend on themselves. God is in the, the process and in, in, in the business of bringing life back to that which was dead. You see in, in John 13, 33, Jesus again in another passage talks like this and he, he, he's talking, he says, I've told you all this so that you may have peace in me. And, and here's the part I think we as Christians forget. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. And I think we, we as Christians can sometimes ask, God, why are all these bad things happening to me? God, why is our world falling down the gutter? Lord, why is my life in chaos and ruin? We say, Lord, I thought you loved me. God, I thought you were good. And there are questions and thoughts we can get into, but Jesus very clearly here says, on this earth, you're gonna have very many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I've overcome the world. What he's saying, when your faith and your hope is just in your circumstance and your hopeless place here, you're going to miss the hope that comes through what I've already done and what I'm going to do for you. You see, faith brings a redemptive power. And Ezekiel knew this. Ezekiel knew that trusting in God's word because he had heard it so many times and he had read about it from the past so many times where God had worked in, in hopeless times and situations that God brought restoration back to people who were burdened. And he didn't let the past rejection of his people when, when, when Ezekiel was prophesying to the people of Judah before saying, hey, turn from your ways and they rejected him, he didn't let that be the reason to stop him from trusting God's word now. That he trusted God's word, that God was going to bring about a plan of restoration because he was giving it to him in this vision. So for some of us, we gotta identify what is broken. There are things that are off in our life. If we wanna experience restoration, we gotta identify it. The next step in that process is trusting the word that God has spoken. But here's the third one, and, and the last one we'll wrap up with, is that we have to obey what was spoken. And I think for a lot of us in this room and a lot of Christians in general, this is the step that we probably fail at the most, myself included. Because I can look, I'm pretty good at looking and, and saying, man, this is what's off in my life. And I'm really, really good at looking at everybody else and saying, this is what's wrong in their life. Like, we're really good at pointing out the flaws in everybody else. And, and you know, we can see sometimes the things that are wrong with us. Uh, I'll also say, I don't really have a problem trusting God's word. I've seen it happen so many times in my life and in other people's life. I know that God is there, but man, do I always obey when he speaks and challenges me? As a pastor, I'd like to say yes all the time, but I don't think I can give you that answer. Do I always obey what was spoken? And I think we find ourselves in this place a lot of times in our life. So jumping back into the Ezekiel story, a valley of dry bones. God says, you're going to prophesy to these bones. They're going to come together. Skin, muscle, tendons, everything. Bodies will be here. I'm going to do this through you. I'm going to bring restoration. Let's look here at, at Ezekiel 37, 7 through 8. 
verses 7 and 8. He says this, so he prophesied as he was commanded, not question God and then thought about it for a little bit to decide if he should. I prophesied as, I com- as he was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound. And the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. And so God begins to do this work in this vision that he's ultimately trying to give to to Ezekiel about what he's going to do for his people and saying, hey, as you prophesy and obey what I have spoken, when you trust the word that I've spoken, when you point out the problems that the people of Judah have and they fix those and commit to me, there's life and there's restoration that's going to begin to take place. You see, The thing that we neglect a lot of times is that obedience to God oftentimes will change our situations. And sometimes we get too caught up with waiting and saying, God, where are you gonna intervene in my life? When God is saying, hey, I've laid things out for you. I need you to obey me. You're in a hopeless state because you've rejected me. You're in a hopeless state because you haven't taken care of the issues that you've been holding on to when I've already given you freedom from them. You're putting all your faith in that person or this situation instead of putting your faith and trust in me. And until we can release those things, until we can release those holds on our heart, obedience to God will not change, like disobedience to God won't change our situation. We have to obey God to change our situation. And can I take a time out and pause and just clarify this? Obedience to God is one of the most difficult things in the world to do. Because obedience to God is going to put you in a place where you are uncomfortable. It's going to put you in a place where it's going to stretch you. It's going to put you in a place where you're going to have to give up things that you probably don't want to give up. But if I can share anything from a personal interaction of of this myself, is that when you are obedient to what God has, his plans are always greater than your own. Pastor Chad mentioned, I've grown up here at Calvary. So CSM, the youth group that I lead, like I was a student at one point. And I can remember one leader in particular who who throughout my middle school years especially started to put this this kind of seed, this thought in my head of like, hey, you're a great leader. You'd be a great pastor someday. And as a seventh, eighth, ninth grader, like honestly, my response to them was like, hey, thanks. No, like that was seriously (laughs) like, like that's not my life. Like I wanted to work outside. I didn't want to work in a building. Uh, I wasn't good at talking in front of people, it, you know, at those times, like I would, like I did announcements one time and it was like this the whole time. And, you know, like that's just how I was. I was like, I'm not cut out for that. And so I always rejected the idea. And I said, that's not what I want to do with my life. And I'm not qualified or good enough to do it. And I went on all through my youth years doing that. I didn't reject God and turn away and run. Like I wasn't the, that kid. I I still came to church. I still plugged in. I still served. But it wasn't until my senior year when God used a very miraculous situation with somebody where his spirit divinely gave them a word to me that said, you need to stop running from what I've called you to do. And I was put in this situation where I had to make a choice, where I could continue to say, God, your plan is not what the plan should be for my life. God, I'm not gifted enough. I'm not qualified enough. I'm not able to. You've got the wrong guy. Like, that's what I was telling God. But I, 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 in that moment, in a place where I, I wasn't hopeless, but I definitely didn't have direction for my life. I wasn't in the best spot. I said, God, if you want to do this, if, if this is truly of you, 
I'll take a step and trust you. Not knowing what was next, halfway through my senior year, no plans for school, no nothing. God, I'm gonna trust you, but you're gonna have to open the door. And can I tell you, that was so difficult for me to step outside of what was comfortable. But as soon as I prayed that prayer, God opened a door. He opened an opportunity for me to begin getting credentials. Man, all right, God, what's next? I prayed that prayer. God, lead me. Took that step. All right, I'll start looking for it. Man, I had an internship opportunity to come up. And I continued. Every time I prayed that prayer and said, God, I will trust you, I didn't have plans before I prayed that prayer. But when I prayed that prayer and trust, God answered that prayer. And it's led me to this point now, and I believe it will continue to lead me as long as I follow that obedience, because obedience to God changes your situation. But here's the thing that I think we have to understand, is that obedience to God is not subjective. I was being obedient to God subjectively most of my life. God, I will serve you at youth group unless you want me to start pursuing that pastoral thing again. No. I'll set up the chairs every week. I'll do the work, I'll serve at the outreaches, but I'm not preaching. I'm not interacting, I'm not learning that. That's not me. Subjectively, I was saying, God, I want all you have for my life, but yet I wasn't willing to give everything of myself for it. Obedience to God is not subjective, but can I encourage you this, that, that obedience to God should be reactive. You see this take place in Ezekiel's life. You see it in this story. God gave him this vision, God gave him this plan, God gave him this thing, and he didn't say, Lord, I'm the wrong person for the job. They didn't listen to me before. Why would they listen now? Obedience to God, he said no, so I prophesied as I was commanded. That it was a reaction for him to say, God, your power, your plan is greater than mine will ever be. So Father, I'm going to follow you. And I think it's important to know that when we can follow these things, when we can make obedience to God a reaction, that obedience to God will change our perspective of our situations as well. That when we start to take those, those steps of obedience, when we can trust in him, that we, when we begin to, to give ourselves up to him, that then it changes the perspective of the hopelessness we think we're in. That our focus doesn't become surrounded around what's happening, our focus becomes, God, what do you want me to do in the middle of this junk? You know, I, I've seen a lot of posts. I've seen a lot of, I've heard a lot of comments. Um, and I totally agree with them. Like, man, I can't wait for Jesus to come back. Lord, would you come back now? Like, our world is, it's in struggle. And I listened to students last week during a testimony time talk about the depression, the anxiety, and honestly, the things they were thinking about doing to themselves. And I'm just broken over that. But I'm not too naive to think that that only takes place in a 6th through 12th grader's life. That there's probably some of us in here who are in the same boat. And we're saying, Jesus, just come back. But can I encourage you that if, that if Ezekiel was just like, Lord, take my life. Like, I'm done. If he wouldn't have been obedient to this, then there wouldn't have been hope and restoration brought to his people. And I believe that, that God wants to do a restoration to people's lives here in Toledo, but he's looking for us to step up. He's looking for us to honor that call, to, uh, to help people understand what's broken, to trusting in God's word, but then ultimately to obeying what he's called us to do, to make disciples, to be a light to those in a dark world. And so I, as much as I hear, and, and I would love for Jesus to come back to you, I don't think that Jesus is done using us on this earth now. 
And so for us to have the, the, the mentality of just trying to mail it in at this point, I don't think that's what God's plan. Because if we look at this story in Ezekiel, as it wraps up, we ended in verse 8, and it, and it said this, that he looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them, but there was no breath. So a miracle that had begun had not yet completed. Yes, there was bodies, truly miraculous, but there was no life to it. But when we look at verse 9, this is what he says. God said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy son of man and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. Now you see the word breath and breathe in there a lot. And in the, in the Hebrew, the Hebrew word for breath in this instance is this word ruach. And it has multiple meanings, but the meanings are, are breath, wind, and spirit. And what he's saying is, is Ezekiel, I've done this work. My people are not physically dead, but they're spiritually dead. They are scattered, they are lost. But you're going to preach a message. You're gonna give this message to them. And my goal is to bring restoration and restore their identity, to take them back to their land, to bring them out of captivity, which he does, to bring them back to their place. But it's only through the breath and the awakening of my spirit within them that all of this will take place. I, in the last couple years, we've had, my wife and I have had two kids. So Ivy is two and a half, um, and our son Porter uh, just turned four months old yesterday. And I was reflecting back on this message and kind of this thought, and, and the thing that I can remember is that for so long, like, you know, we knew we got pregnant, and then there was the nine months, my nine months of anticipation of our child to come. Uh, but the special moment that stands out to me is being in the hospital room uh, and, and when Ivy came out, like Ivy's there, like the thought and the, the baby that was in the belly is now there. And she's like not taking her breath. And then all of a sudden you hear that <gasps> and then just cries for like 10 minutes, like just crying and crying and crying. And it's, you know, that's life when you got a newborn, right? So, but there was something about the emotion and the joy that just welled over me when I heard the, the breath when I heard the cries, when I heard the life that came from my child. Same thing happened with Porter four months ago. Man, he came out, took that breath, let it all out, but there was life. And then I held that life. And that life meant something to me. Can I encourage you? Every time we surrender our stuff to God, every time we surrender our hopelessness, every time we surrender what is broken, and we experience the life and the breath that comes through God's spirit within us, that same feeling, like it says heaven celebrates and roars over those who come to know God. That there's a, there's a praise party that happens. God's greatest desire is that we would choose to love him and follow him and let his spirit guide our lives. And so I'd encourage you where you're at, if, if maybe you could stand with me if you're able, whether you're in the chapel or you're watching online or in this room right now. And I have two questions that I wanna pose to you as we wrap up. And I'll tell you, we're gonna end in worship because I believe God has begun stirring something within many of your hearts. That God wants to rescue you from your hopelessness right now. That God wants to use you in a mighty way to be a light and to be hope to others in hopelessness. 
And one of the best ways after we commit something to God is to respond by worshiping his name. And so we're gonna do that today. But here's the two, two kind of questions and two groups of people I wanna to speak to. Is that maybe you're in this room or watching right now and you say, you know what, I walked in or I joined or clicked today and Pastor Jay, I'm in that hopeless spot. My relationships are broken, my life is a mess, my job is gone, I've lost everybody who was close to me physically, relationally, wherever you might find yourself. And you're saying, you know what? I don't wanna walk out. I don't wanna go back into the life, into my life with that same hopelessness. Can I encourage you? I'm gonna lead us in a prayer in a moment that I would encourage you to pray on your own because it's not my words that saves, but it's your words lifted up to God that when you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, when you surrender the brokenness, God says you're saved, you're healed, that his spirit comes within and your life finds new purpose. The second group of people is saying, you know what? Maybe you're not in that hopeless state. Maybe you know you're a Christ follower. You've been serving Jesus, whether that's been for months or years, but that maybe you're in a spot where you've been a little more stagnant in that obedience. That there's things you could be doing or should be doing, but you're not. That there are people you can reach out to that you're not. That maybe God has put people on your heart in the past that you never did anything about, that maybe he's saying, you know what, now's the time. That you could be the Ezekiel to bring hope and life to them. So whether you're looking to surrender and find hope today, or to be like an Ezekiel and, and lift up and be a light to others, I would encourage you as I lead this prayer in a moment, and if you're willing, I won't even say if you're comfortable, I'll say if you're willing and gonna respond, could you just put your hands in a place of, of a posture to receive and surrender? And I'm gonna pray and you can pray with me or you can pray in your own heart. And then we're gonna worship here and let God's spirit solidify what he's spoken today. So Father, we acknowledge our need for you. Forgive me of my sins. Fill us with your hope. Help us to identify what is broken. Help us to trust in your word. Lord, help us to be obedient when you speak. Lord, thank you for your spirit and the life it brings. Jesus, we love you. We need you. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Let's worship. Let's sing it together. Sing out for a millionaire. Was I forsaken? The Lord is in this place. Oh, the Lord is in this place. Sing, come, Holy Spirit. His dry bones awaken. The Lord is in this place.
I'm not. 